Alright y'all come on in, take your shoes off, sit on down. Y'all listening to In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. This episode, which I've entitled Charlie and the Jazz Our Kids Will Just Throw Away After We're Gone, is going to be another interview I conducted at the 2016 International Association of Jazz Record Collectors Convention. My guest, Charlie Coleman, is an 80-something-year-old lover of jazz music who introduces us to some of his favorite musicians and recordings, tells of some of his life adventures in war and peace, and even obliges us with an impromptu clarinet jam. We start, though, by getting into how he got into jazz. I think maybe I've always been in it. Uh, when I was three years old, we had a wind-up phonograph, of uh-huh. a table model. They'd set it on the floor, and they had a stack of records. And at three years old, you know, I knew what I liked to play. I went through the records, and uh, if I found a scroll victor, that's what I put on. The first record that really that really hit me was the Paul Whiteman recording of Smile. And you know, the fix has the out chorus. I think I always had that in my mind, but we moved so much. Of course, the records were gone, and my sister's husband, my brother-in-law, played guitar and country. So they bought me a little mandolin and taught me three chords. So we would <laughs> we would play and, and sing, uh, you know, country songs. And, and then when I got in middle school, we got another phonograph. Didn't have any records on it, and my mother always liked. The old, the world is waiting for the sunrise, you know, a beautiful song. She, she went to the store and, and bought The World is Waiting for the Sunrise. Unfortunately, it was uh, Benny Goodman. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, she put that on and, oh, they butchered it. They butchered it. <laughs> they ruined it. I said, no, no, that's great. They improved it, <laughs> and, and then and then uh, we played that, and, and I flipped it over and solo flight, Charlie Christian. Mm-hmm. And this is what a guitar sounds like. You know, it, it's not. Uh, strumming and playing country music. This is this is what a guitar really should sound like, and so I, I think I wore that record out. And then, whenever I could get a dime, I'd go to the the Salvation Army or whatever they call it back then, and they they always had a stack of records. 
and I, I knew by osmosis, I guess, I knew if the record listed the personnel, that would be a good record. And, now, why did you think that? Well, because I, I'd found re records, you know, that listed personnel, and, and, I, and I got to recognizing names, and I said, well, this is a good record, you know. And then I, I knew that uh, the Brunswicks, the old uh, gold Brunswicks, uh, that, and I, I got to recognize Red Nichols, uh, the, the pennies, and, uh, and this is when I was about, oh, 13 or 14, and from then on, you know, uh, whenever I could accumulate records, of course, they, when I went in the Army, you know, everything was gone, and then I came back and went to work, got married, and of course, you, you still have a, a jazz that was always there. I bought a clarinet early, the same one I've got over there. I think that clarinet over there is about uh, at least 70 years old. I never took lessons, I just wanted to play I always wanted to play like Goodman, and the kids in, in the school, you know, says, who's Benny Goodman at that time? You know, this was up in the 50s now, and, uh, you know, we had emergence of rock and roll, sure. and, uh, and here comes Bill Haley and the Comets and all that stuff, and it, the quality of music just went down. And then for a, a while, I discovered Stan Kenton. Then from that to the West Coast, Howard Rumsey, the Lighthouse Group, Shorty Rogers, Brubeck. Later on, I, I got hooked up with this um, on the radio. There was a station out of the University of Michigan called Jazz Revisited, uh, hosted by Hazen Schumacher. And now, here is your host, Hazen Schumacher. Hello, I'm Hazen Schumacher, the producer and host of the Jazz Revisited radio program. And he would play all the old kind of an eclectic mix. It was, it was just about just everything that he played, but he played enough of the old stuff. Um, and I realized that, you know, my focus was going to be in the, from the mid-20s to the mid-30s was going to be my, my focus. So that's where I uh, started collecting and accumulating. Uh, like I said, I never saw a scroll victor I didn't like. Okay. So that's kind of the story. And uh, when uh, were you born? What year? Mm -hmm. 1932. Okay. So I'll be 84 this year. You know, I've always like to play, and I, I accumulate instruments too, like like records. I, I can see that. <laughs> Look and at this room. I, and I, I, I was never a very good musician. I, uh -huh. I don't call myself a musician. I, I play well enough that I can play in church and, mm -hmm. and play the, you know, the the contemporary music. And uh, tell us about that because you were telling me last night that you play uh, the top forty praise team. Yeah. praise songs. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's. Uh, more rock-oriented. Mm -hmm. Our praise band, we have uh, uh, two rhythm guitars, lead guitar, bass guitar, drums, and occasionally a keyboard, but then I do fills on the, on the tenor sax, mm. and then uh, you know, when we do the, all the praise stuff, you know, it's all, it's all driving, almost hard rock. Yeah. 
you go along just to help them out, or? Uh, well, yeah, I, yeah, I, I've been doing it for eighteen years. Uh-huh. And, you you uh, haven't convinced them to make a jazz praise team. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they've got focus what they what they like. Right. And, uh, <laughs> of course, we have three singers, uh, three gals that sing, and and uh, you know they they kind of. They're the focus of the band, so I just sit back here and I noodle on the, on the tenor sax. Uh, but then uh, when we have the meditation service, then I'll get out the clarinet and I'll play out of the hymnal. I'll, I'll do all the old stuff, so that kind of keeps the services in balance. Right. This is what you got. I've been going to all the jazz concerts that I can go down to Columbus and mm-hmm. at the McCoy Center with all the the, uh, the people down there I've met and down to Huntington. My wife and I used to go down to Huntington all the time. The the remnants of the Coon Sanders Nighthawks. <laughs> West Virginia. Oh, West Virginia. Oh, okay. yes. It was in Charleston, West Virginia, and it moved up to Huntington. And uh, the fans of the old Coon Sanders band started a club in in the 50s because the, the Coon Sanders band, after Carlton Coon died in the 20s, I don't know if you're familiar with Coon Sanders, but they, they made a lot of records. And some of pretty good jazz, you know. So they started a fan club. And a lot of the Coon Sanders musicians were still around. So we'd go down to Huntington to the Coon Sanders reunion. One of the guys I really enjoyed meeting and, and talking to a lot was Spiegel Wilcox. He was 93 when he died. Played a gig, came home, went to bed, didn't wake up. He was planning a trip to Europe that year. The Europeans appreciate American jazz. Over there, they're playing stuff that, you know, out of the 20s and 30s, <laughs> and they do a really good job. You said you were in the Army? Yeah, I was in the Army. We were mobilized during the Korean War. I was in the Ohio National Guard in high school. I'd make $20 a month for joining the National Guard. That was my school money. So we'd go to you know camp uh, every year in the summer for two weeks and, and then come home and, and then have drill every week. And I said, well, hey, this is, this is a great way to, to play soldier and earn some money. And, and then all of a sudden, Korea. And then, and then the governor says, hey, you're mobilized. And a week later, we were on a train to uh, Louisiana, and we were stationed in Fort Polk, or it was Camp Polk then, before it was a fort, about 90 miles north of, come on, my, my brain my brain quit. Which New state? Orleans. Oh, New Orleans. Yeah. yeah. Of all cities to forget. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> New, New Orleans, yeah. We did get to go down there a couple of times. I remember going down once just before Mardi Gras, and we went down on uh, 
Bourbon Street, and uh, we, we got a motel down there. And just walking down the streets of diff different clubs, we stopped at, uh, at uh, Leon Primo's. Well, I wish I smiling. Sure, it's like a morn in spring. So, did you end up in Korea? Well, what happened? The Ohio 37th was uh, pretty well shot up during the Second World War in the South Pacific. So, they decided that uh, we were just going to be a replacement division. So, uh, I ended up in personnel. And I was one of the SOBs that helped type the rotation rosters. Okay, you go to Germany, you go to Korea. You go to Germany, you go to Korea. And, and it was just a luck of a draw. The guys who went to Germany, it, it was scary, but there was no shooting over there. The guys that went to Korea, you know what happened to them. They, the great number of those never came back. Right. They called the Forgotten War. It was, yeah, it was yeah, terrible. It, yeah, it, uh, it, it was. And, uh, it's never ended. It's still... It's never... No, no, there was a truce. <laughs> and, and we're still at war, yeah. some of your favorite songs or your favorite artist oh the, it would have to be the one I'm listening to right now uh -huh. oh I see <laughs> <laughs> I can listen to just about any kind of music mm -hmm. like Bix I, I, I like uh, the French Impressionist I like Ravel Stravinsky uh, I like uh, Debussy and But then as far as uh, contemporary jazz, oh, name it. I used to like uh, Kenton, all the Kenton solos. So Woody Herman, uh, Frank Rossellino on trombone was just, he was unique in the, on the trombone. But then Bill Harris, I like Bill Harris too on trombone. I met Woody a couple times, just and I did the faux pas of uh, saying, hey Woody, uh, are you gonna play some of the old stuff? That was the wrong thing to say <laughs> because he hated to play that that stuff that they, that's old. He wanted to push it, huh? He was pushing the boundaries, you know. He wanted to play all the new stuff. So he just gave you the evil eye or what? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he kind of, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do so. We'll do one. We'll, We'll do Woodchopper's Ball for you, uh -huh. <laughs> or something like that. That uh, they've done a thousand times, and he's sick of it, you know. Right. Who 
are some of the other folks that you've met or interacted with? Uh, not that many. I, I didn't, you know, being married at the time, we didn't go all that much. Didn't have the money to go all that. But you know, I saw, uh, you know, Kenton a few times, and and one group I really liked was the Four Freshmen. Was a particular song from the four freshmen that you remember as being pretty great? Oh, wow. Oh, I forget one of the brothers that, that did a Donald Duck of, of uh, Sweet Lorraine, I think. Four freshmen in person, and if you ever get a chance to get that album, it's beautiful because it's a live one-hour show, and they do the whole thing. One of the guys that does uh, the song Old Folks, and that is just riveting. And that old corn cob pipe, it's so mellow, it's ripe. But you needn't be ashamed of him. One group, we, last night we were talking, that is not necessarily jazz, but is definitely swing, western swing, Bob oh, Wills. Yeah. yeah, Bob Wills. My gal sound makes good pie, eat so much I nearly die. Bring it on down to my house, honey, and ain't nobody home me. After the war in uh, 45, people were coming back, and uh, of course, the big bands were kind of disappearing by then. But uh, the, the uh, musicians coming back from the war had heard, you know, all the Shaw and uh, Miller and the, the bands that had entertained them during the war. Bob Hope and, and everybody was entertaining the troops during the war, and they bring, you know, the music, and so these guys come home. Well, that's that's neat stuff. We're going to play that. So here they're guitar players, but uh, like Bob Wills, he said, "Okay, we're going to make arrangements of these uh, swing tunes and and uh, you know Western swing kind of evolved from that." And I think maybe Western swing had been building since the '30s. You know, the guys like the like Presto Boys. Tex Williams was a was a great friend of Stan Kenton. Now, they were, I don't know, golfing buddies or something. So Tex Williams had an arrangement made of Kenton's theme song, Artistry and Rhythm. Western swing, and the guitar players <laughs> do all all the uh, the riffs that the, the Dick Kenton band did. It's just a, an amazing record, and Western swing is still alive. It's it's big down in Texas. 
the internet is a wonderful resource. <laughs> yeah. I get on there and uh, on uh, Pandora. Sure. You know Pandora. Oh yeah. You can type Bob Wills in there and, and it'll play Bob Wills all day for you. Right. Or similar genre, yeah. And it's uh, just a great resource. What they call the the, um, the Great American Songbook, uh -huh. you know, it, it's it's just encompasses the, everything from the 20s up to the early 40s, you know, and you got guys like uh, Johnny Mercer and Huggy Carmichael and melodies bring memories that linger in my dozens of others that wrote the songbook, primarily, I think, for the movies. You can hardly find a, a, a pop song. You're going to play at least one or two that was in a movie. Music and jazz are just dynamic. It's, it's growing it, and it, it changes. Uh, and unfortunately, it's on a bad path right now. Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through. Just an old sweet song keeps Georgia on my mind. Georgia on my mind. Georgia. Because of your collecting and your interest in jazz, you've met a lot of interesting people, right? Yeah, yeah, and a lot of them are right here. <laughs> yeah, talk about that, like how that maybe enriches your life or what you come away with. Yeah, well, you know. Here in Indianapolis, one of my very good friends, Duncan Sheet, uh, and, and unfortunately, two years ago, he was here and he wasn't well. He says, are you with anybody tonight? Uh, he says, could I stay in your room tonight? I say, yeah, yeah. I gave him a key. He says, here, you know, if you want to go back and rest, because he didn't want to drive home. It's getting late. Yeah. And he lived nearby. He, uh, yeah, he lived, I think it was probably about a, a half hour drive for him and uh, so he stayed that night and, and we visited and the next morning uh, he got up and went home and and then I said well I, I gotta call Duncan sometime and and talk to him and the next thing I knew he had died because he developed this cancer in, in his abdominal you know it's kind of like a peritonitis or something and, uh, and it's just uh, because he was a, a great piano player. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, he played vibes and played piano. Anything he'd play, I, you know, I could follow along. And uh, did he know that he had the cancer? He found out pretty quick. Oh, it was too late. Yeah, it was one of these things. You know, you go in, they they open you up, and then they sew you back up again, and they say, "Well, go home and Take get everything in order again." And that that was the way it was. Uh, but uh, anyway, it, oh yeah, a lot of people impacted, you know, I, I saw, I met a lot of people, you know, like I said, Spiegel Wilcox, uh, I, I got to meet him and, and become friendly with him, and, uh, but not that many people, you know, I, I, I just didn't have the time or the, uh, to meet a lot of people. Now Duncan, on the other hand, uh, he was a 
photojournalist. And, you know, he's written a lot of books. In fact, he was had credit on that Berman film. But anyway, you know, everybody down here, you know, is this uh, a contact, you know, it's right. something that, uh, that kind of oh, had hey, something. Hey, I wonder if the bottle opener was in here, Charlie. What? What? The what? The bottle opener. Yeah. We're talking about uh, Bix Biderbeck. Yeah. Talk about Bix a little bit. Like, what are some of your favorite things about him? Well, the favorite thing is maybe uh, all the records he's on, like, uh, oh, of course, Clementine from New Orleans. Da 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 Be a friend with pleasure. You know, I like that one. It's kind of a melancholy. And I don't mind walking in the rain, you know. I don't mind walking in the rain when I'm walking in the rain. That's with Bix and his gang, you know. It was one of the New York sessions, and uh, Victor wanted Bix to, uh, this was when he was a Whiteland, he says, you know, that they wanted a, a, a Bix record. So Bix, being the guy he, he was, he, he went out and, and hired all of his friends. <laughs> and, and so the, the, uh, some of the personnel on, the, on those Bix records, of course, he didn't conduct, I forget who conducted those, but it's Bix Beiderbeck and his orchestra, and uh, he made sure everybody got work. And, and you can tell the, the orchestra is kind of overloaded with people. I'm not real crazy about the early uh, Jeanettes. They just come some kind of uh, maybe primitive, I don't know. Not because of Bix, because, well, the arrangements were just a little bit. From about 1924, uh, and there's a, there's a kind of a, a shift, early 20s and the later 20s. It, the style of music just evolved. It, it went from uh, two beat to, to kind of almost four beat. And a lot of a difference in the way the music was written and arranged. It just uh, you know, when you get up in the 30s, and then it became swing, and uh, that branch kind of died. I don't know why. Then you collect records also. I do buy records. I do collect, and I need to stop that because I don't want the kids to have to dispose of them. Okay, so why would you say that? I, I thought that interesting and, and a little sad. Well, records are not like coins or stamps. You got coins and stamps, you got a lot of collectors. You got records, there's maybe two or three other guys in town that would even be interested. Mm. Probably not interested not, not to pay you much mm. because I've bought collections, you know, people didn't know what to do with them. 
and I couldn't give them what they were worth. And they said, you know, just an offer will take anything, you know. And, and so I, I said, well, okay, I'll make an offer, and, and they take it. But uh, my collection right now doesn't have a lot of really good stuff. If it did, I'd probably send it down to Kurt Knopp down in Texas. He's, he's the collector. He, he puts out a slick magazine, about a 50-page slick magazine of about 10,000 records. Everything from, from cylinders and classical, jazz, you name it, it's in there. He markets worldwide. He not only sells worldwide, he goes overseas looking for records. He would be one to sell it to collectors that would preserve it rather than uh, just put them out for somebody to use for clay pigeons or something. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I buy some from him once in a while. Hmm. I say, well, I gotta have that one. And when you say, what's my favorite one? It's, it's the one that I want to focus on right now. That's why I bought this last Bix, uh, I'll Be a Friend with Pleasure. You know, I paid more than I should have. I paid 30 bucks for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but anyway, I, I, I need that record. I, it's in my mind, so I've got to get it and play it. So your kids don't show much interest in this kind of stuff? No, no interest in it at all. Huh. It kind of embarrassed them when they were growing up, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I, I got all this crazy music. I was trying to get them indoctrinated. I got the one Ted Heath album, one cut on there called Dance of the Dingoes. You know, where they dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. <laughs> Said, oh look, you can kind of dance around with this. I thought maybe I could get him to to listen to it. No, no that that didn't work. <laughs> Andy Smith, jazz man. Yeah. I asked him about his kids. Also, he said yeah. when his son, I think, was a teenager, he would walk through the living room with his fingers in his ears and saying, "I hate jazz. I hate jazz." Oh Because his, his dad played it so much. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's see, where were we going with this? Oh, about why uh, your collection and why you, you don't want to leave them for your kids oh, to yeah, deal with. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, uh, because right now, they're, they're kind of scattered all over them. They're not that well organized. Mm -hmm. So what they'd probably do is put them in boxes and take them down to the local second-hand store mm -hmm. and get, uh, uh, says, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you... A, Two dollars a box, you know. Right. You, got to, you got six boxes. I'll give you twelve dollars, you know. And that's what it would happen to them. And then the guy that gets them will just put them down in the basement. And a lot of them get broken. I have one last thing. Do you feel like playing your clarinet? One little tune on the clarinet. Give me a chance to... Okay, warm up. Oh, mm -hmm.
that was great. Thank you. <laughs> good place to stop i think but if you've dug what you heard you should check out in the corner back by the woodpile episode 56 the jazz man and 59 randy staley's jazz also the international association of jazz record collectors is a great organization which you can check out and even network in at iajrc.org. In the Corner Back by the Woodpile podcast is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at spuncounterguy. And if you'd like to see a list of former episodes of In the Corner Back by the Woodpile, go to spuncounterguy.com and click on the pictures of piles of wood with chairs in front. Be sure to download the new Podbean app to hear this podcast and others on your tablet and smartphone. And we are now on iTunes. Just do a search for Back by the Woodpile on the iTunes store and we should pop up. And a special thanks to thebrofisticate.com. <laughs>